Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We are your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we are joined by a very special friend, Jesse B. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. Good. Cool. Are you really doing wonderful? I mean, mostly. She's nervous. Mm. I'm nervous. Where are you from, Jesse? Pasadena, Maryland. Pasadena, Maryland. Uh, when were you first introduced to recovery? Um, honestly, my parents are in recovery, so mm-hmm. I've known about it for a long time. Um, my my personal path started in 2001. All right. And uh, how long have you been clean? I've been clean 17 years. Congratulations. Thank all you. right. Well, with all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you. So pitter-patter, let's get at her. All right. Well, I'd first like to thank you both for having me out. Um, this Absolutely. is truly an honor. I'm very, very nervous, but um, it's always an honor to be able to share my experience. And We're going to have a blasty blast. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, so I'll just I'll start from the beginning. Um, I grew up in a, a household. I just mentioned that um, my parents are in recovery. It's actually my mom and my stepdad. And uh, so my mom has um, had problems for a very long time. My mm-hmm. dad was um, had issues with gambling, my, bi- my biological father. Mm-hmm. And um, they both were attending my, my mom and my stepdad, AA. And, um, you know, growing up, before my stepdad came into the picture, um, my parents just, it was just very dysfunctional. My mom was using, yeah. my dad, my mom would always argue. Um, it just wasn't a happy, loving environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as time went on, it just, it turned into a situation where I can't tell you what was going through my mind, but at nine years old, it just seemed very attractive to jump into my stepmother's cabinet mm-hmm. of prescription medication. Mm. Oh, Wow. I thought totally was seeing liquor cabinet. No. Wow. Yeah, okay. so at nine years old, I started taking her medication, and um, I quickly found that, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I was just looking to not deal, not cope. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. I was made to grow up very fast. Um, I always kind of touch on when I was one, my parents had, they grew their own pot. So oh. my first Christmas tree was actually a pot plant that Shut ended up, up. Yeah. So it actually ended up the trailer we were living in burned down because they left it on. So they woke up to a trailer full of smoke um, and oh. lost one of their very prized possessions. So oh. um, that was just okay, though. Oh, I'm sure it did. I don't remember though. <laughs> Close all the doors. Seal the windows. We gotta, we gotta save all this smoke. Right. So, uh, so that was very normal, you know. At a young age, they'd be playing cards, and you know, a, a thing of coke would be going around the table, and it just, you know, I, my mom had Damn. said like at three, four years old, I'd just kind of because I'd sit up at the table with them and put puzzles together while they played cards. Like I'd lean down and pretend to like snort coke. Oh shit! So it was. Um, it was very readily available in my house, and, you know, when I started getting a little bit older, you know, there was um, rewards like bong hits for doing chores, which, you know, you did very little, and then I'd go get a bong hit, things like that. So Jesus. It was just a lot of dysfunction, as yeah. I said. So, um, so we'll just fast forward. So, um when I got clean, so I started with pills. I don't really go into a big drug log. It ended with um, with crack. Did a whole lot in between. Uh, my mom's drug of choice was heroin. 
So I felt like as long as I wasn't doing that, I was good. Yeah. Um, because I, the one thing that I aspired not to be was my mother. And I really didn't even have dreams or like thoughts of the future, but I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want to be like her. Yeah. And, you know, smoking crack was better than shooting dope. Yeah. In my mind at that time. So, um, so that's where it ended. And it was really dark and lonely. And I remember the day that, um, like I kind of just completely broke was, uh, I was sitting in my bedroom. I was back at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And my mom had walked in, and at this point in my recovery, I mean my recovery, I'm sorry, in my using, yeah. I, uh, my mom and I would, like, take bong hits together, but, yeah. like, she was shooting dope and drinking, and I was smoking crack, and we just didn't talk about it. Yeah. So um, she had actually come in my room looking to get a bong hit, and uh, I was sitting on the bed with a pile of pills, a pile of Coke, and a butcher knife. And um, suicide is a part of my story. By the Mm. time I was 19, I had attempted suicide four times. Mm. Um, And looking back, like, it was definitely a cocktail for a disaster. Like, I I just, I I wished on a regular basis to just lay down and go to sleep and not wake up. Yeah. And uh, that never happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I believe that that's what was happening as I was just done. I was ready to go. Yeah. And, um... So when she walked in, I mean, my mom had tried to get clean for a long time. She mm-hmm. could just never really get it. Yeah. So they knew a lot of people. We lived in Laurel at the time. And they knew a lot of people in recovery. At this point, my stepdad, my parents got together. They met in recovery mm-hmm. um, at one of the many times my mom tried to get clean. And uh, so my dad today has 30 years clean. Nice. So he's been clean through my using, my mom's using, like, the whole situation. Wow. And... um so they're very heavily connected in Laurel, even though she wasn't clean. And she's yeah. like, if you want help, you can get help. Mm-hmm. We'll help you. So I was like, well, I don't think I need help. I don't think I have a problem. Like, I just can't, you know, I'm just not happy. Like, I'm, yeah. I can't stop being angry. And um, so it was suggested that um, I call a recovery house or mm-hmm. a, a, um, a detox center. So yeah. I... Um, did that they couldn't get me in so then a rehab center said that they could take me but i had to wait 30 days i found out later that i didn't have to wait they had a bed but they wanted to see my willingness is really what it came down to so i detoxed cold turkey in my bedroom handed over my credit cards and my keys and it was horrible i will never forget that feeling yeah um no maintenance no nothing And 30 days later, I uh, I went into a recovery house or mm-hmm. into a rehab. Um, from that rehab, or what? Let me back up. So while I was in that rehab, I had a seizure. Ooh. And um, I'd had seizures prior to this mm-hmm. and went into the hospital, was at Johns Hopkins. They did testing. And ironically, no one ever asked or tested me for drugs or anything, alcohol, nothing. Um, hmm. But ironically... When I stopped smoking crack and I stopped doing drugs, like, the seizures eventually faded off. Weird how that works. I know, right? <laughs> so uh, so a seizure happened, and they said, um, you know, we're not medically equipped to have you here. Like, we can't help you. You have to leave. Hmm. And I went to Laurel Hospital. And um, I always share this when I, when I share about my story is I was sitting on a bed in the ER, 
And the nurse came by, and he asked me if I had someone to come get me. And I said, no, I haven't talked to anyone. Like, I don't have anywhere to go. And he's like, well, we're going to have to talk about this. i got to go do some rounds. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. And when he left, another nurse came by and pulled a curtain back. And when he pulled that curtain back, there was this counter full of prescription bottle, like pill bottles. Mm. Yeah. And now I know that it was a spiritual awakening. At that point, I didn't know what it was, but I just knew that I had to get back in this rehab. Yeah. Because I, I did somehow realize that if I went and left that hospital or that facility and I didn't go back there, something bad was going to happen. Yeah. So I end up sitting in that hospital for three days doing any test they wanted, trying to figure out, like, how I could get back in that rehab. And they did every test possible, said everything checked out. Eventually, I was able to go back. And prior to having that seizure, like, I'd sit in the back. I only talked to the guys. I didn't pay attention. Mm -hmm. I wasn't taking it serious. And then... um, Then I went back, and when I got back, they... um, they were a little leery about taking me back, yeah. and I really kind of showed that I was willing. Like, mm-hmm. I'd sit up front. I'd get the women's numbers. I was paying attention in group. I, I was just giving more of an effort. And in the beginning, I hated it. And then when it was time to, like, leave, I was like, I don't want to go. I don't know what I'm doing. I, and they tell you when to get up. They tell you yeah. when to eat. They tell you what to do. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it became very comfortable. Oh, yeah. So from there, I left, and I went to an Oxford house in Beltsville, and I was there. That didn't last long. I was there a hot month, and unfortunately for me and my process, um, you know, that group living situation didn't work out too well. Yeah. Not everybody was about recovery, mm-hmm. and it just it wasn't a healthy environment. So yeah. I ended up with um, people that were in recovery with some time living in their their um, their attic they had set up as an apartment. Hmm. And that's kind of where it kicked off. I mean, I I got a sponsor. I dibbled and dabbled in the steps. I didn't actually work the steps like Mm -hmm. some people dive right in. I didn't do that. Um, But, you know, along the way, there was enough pain and there was enough things happening that I I picked it up a little more and a little more as time went along. Yeah. At two years... um, and I'll just start by saying this before I go into this next part is there was a big part of me that always felt inadequate. I always felt less than, you yeah. know, the traditional things that we hear everybody say. Yeah. And um, so when I put the drugs down, it was very easily transitioned to men. And I just mm-hmm. would chase whatever man was paying attention because I wanted to feel better. I wanted somebody to love me how I felt like I never had been loved before. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, was at a New Year's Eve party, and I run into this unfamiliar face, and I'm like, ooh, hi, who are you? And, uh, you know, lo and behold, he had 30 days. I had two years. The quick and dirty on that is he was using the whole time. I was in denial. I had moved him in because he gave me a sob story, so I moved him into my apartment thinking we're going to live this happy life. Yeah. So crazy. And uh, so, you know, as this is all transpiring, um, I found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And he left and continued, as far as I know to this day, he's still smoking crack. Mm. He's never met our daughter. And, um, you know, I've been doing that ever since, you know, raising this little girl. 
she's now 15 and life's Oof. become interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I believe why that happened was because God realized that I needed something outside of myself mm-hmm. and I'm not. And I always try to preface this. I don't suggest people run and get pregnant and have babies. Yeah, no. That's not, not what a good you idea. need to fix things. No. However, for me, God knew that I needed something outside of me to um, stop being so self-centered and to like really focus on me to be better because yeah. I wanted a better life for her than I had. Mm-hmm. And it I wasn't enough. I wasn't enough to get better for myself. Yeah. So as we continue down that path, um, you know, I have her and, you know, I'm in recovery and I'm, you know, kind of in, kind of out, going to meetings. I have a sponsor. I have a home group. Like I said, working steps very slowly. Yeah. And I um, end up back with my, I don't want to say, how do I say this? I dated this guy on and off for a little while, mm-hmm. and um, as we were dating, discovered his parents were also in recovery. Um, a big chunk of his family was in recovery. He was not. Um, he and I went on a 13-year run, if you will, or relationship of yeah. on and off, on and off. Yep. Um, and when Kylie was six months old, we got to got back together like officially, and then um, we married in 2008. The problem with that <laughs> was I was still seeking that attention that mm-hmm. I felt like I never got. I was still trying to fill a hole that I now can tell you that I have found I can only fill with God. Mm-hmm. I can only fill with taking care of myself. Like yeah. it all has to be centered in me. Yeah. Um, while we say we're a selfless program, like there's times that you do have to be selfish. Oh, yeah. And um, so I... You know, and with this guy, we get married in 2008. We have the house, the kid, you know, the dogs. We had it all. We mm-hmm. had motorcycles. He owned his own business. Like, from the outside, we really had it going on. And yeah. we were, like, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we weren't that old, 20, 25, 26, 27. And, um, you know, we really looked like we were doing some things. But in our home, like... Most of the time, it wasn't happy. Most yeah. of the time, it was very uncomfortable. He wanted a bar hopping buddy. Mm. Did that for a while, where I'd go to the bar and drink water, and we'd go to the oh, strip God. club and drink water. Um, oh, but God. it was all in an attempt to... Eric loves strip clubs. He, he hates strip clubs. <laughs> <laughs> They're the grossest places in the world. They are pretty nasty. So gross. The things we do to make people accept us is oh, pretty sad. So um, unhygienic. That too. <laughs> so, Teach their own. So, um, so anyway, so we're going down this path of just you know not really living a recovery based lifestyle, mm-hmm. and um, really just the whole time wanting that love, wanting to feel secure in my own skin, but yep. looking outwardly to make that happen. Yeah. And um, while clean, that's the sad part mm-hmm. is I was clean this whole time. And, um, you know, he would have beer. There was nothing, it, it was nothing to open my fridge and there would be Miller Lite in the fridge. I know the one thing that I stood firm on is he would smoke pot once in a while. And he, I was like, well, if you're going to do that, you have to keep it in the shed across the yard. Like, I couldn't walk across the yard and go get it. That was okay to me, hmm. um, which is totally not okay with me today. Yeah. But, again, just trying to make sure I keep the peace and keep him happy. Because yeah. if he's happy, then I'm happy. Mm. Um 
So we fast forward in um, 2010, I kind of got to a breaking point where, um, like I said, I continued to work the steps very slowly. And I very vividly remember I was on my sixth step, which everybody talks about the fourth, but the sixth really killed me. Um, But it killed me in a bad way. Like it really opened up a door that made me question, what are you doing? Like where... Where in all of this in your lifestyle is this okay? Because you're you're learning about these things about yourself, and you mm-hmm. hold these morals and principles, and you believe this way, but yet you're operating this way. Yeah. So in 2010, it came to a breaking point where um, I had woke up one day and said, "You know, I don't. I'm not in love with you anymore. I don't know what to do." And it just spiraled out of control for the next month. Did you actually say that to him? I didn't. Oh. It didn't go over real well. Really? Yeah. No shit. Yeah, it wasn't pretty at all. Um, I didn't eat for the next month. I Ooh. was, like, in a dark place. I felt mm-hmm. like dying was a better option. Um, but all the while, again, God knew what he was doing um, because my daughter was my motivation. Mm-hmm. I had seen how my mom had operated and my dad had operated the unhealthy situation and where she was putting into my life to make me better. Mm -hmm. Well, now we were at another crossroads where it was like, okay, do you want her to grow up to be in a relationship like this? Do you want her to think this is healthy and this is normal? Mm -hmm. So, again, my motivation. Um, So I end up, uh, we spent the next month trying to figure it out. I don't know if I said the date. It was December 1st, so the holidays were coming. Mm. So we just kind of sat through Christmas. Yeah. And on the 29th, like, we kind of both hit our breaking point, and it was no longer going to work. Just trying to figure out when to make this happen. Yeah. And um, so we sat down. We talked through it. He left that night, and we haven't been together since. Hmm. Yeah. I've been divorced or separated and divorced for eight years now. Um, and in that time that we were together, we um, I didn't really go to meetings. Mm-hmm. I occasionally made a guest appearance at my home group. Yeah. And um, he had a huge issue with meetings, even though his family was there, because he always felt like addiction was mind over matter. Mm-hmm. He really never bought into the fact that, that it's a problem. Yeah. Um, so it, that was also a big mm-hmm. sense of tension in our house. Yeah. Um, and it was never worth arguing about to go get to a meeting. So I yeah. just ends up not going to meetings, mm-hmm. um, for probably a good five or six years. I'd just pop in once in a blue moon. Yeah. And so when this divorce or the separation happened, I dove in full force. Like I, it was like being a newcomer with almost 10 years clean, um, he and I decided we would do 50-50 with our custody situation. Mm-hmm. So um, it gave me half the week to really go do whatever I wanted, which was unusual because I had been a mom up until this point, and she was seven. So yeah. I was like, well, this is awkward. I have all this free time. So mm-hmm. I was hitting meetings left and right, um, which ironically is, you know, David, how I met you. Yeah. Um, because I was going everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. I lived out in that area in Severna Park at the time. Um, but I'd go to Baltimore, I'd go to Catonsville, yep. I'd go to Frederick, I'd go all over the place because I could, mm-hmm. and it felt good. Yeah. It felt good to be in meetings, it felt good to be a part of again, um, and I felt home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, for me, where I feel like I really dove into recovery, and I, I started working steps. I didn't wait until the pain was so great that 
oh, my ass is on fire. I got to mm-hmm. do something to feel better. Um, so I'd work steps. And at that point, I started acquiring sponsees. And, you know, I was asked to do meetings, which still aren't my favorite thing to do. Um, but I, you know, I just, I became a part of it. I, yeah. I got involved. I got in the middle. And, you know, I feel like I've stayed there ever since. Mm-hmm. Um there's been, you know, trials and tribulations that have happened since then. Um, but the one thing I know today is that it doesn't matter what comes down the road. Mm-hmm. If I don't use and I just get uncomfortable, there's so many scenarios. I mean, I had the same sponsor for 16 years, and at 16 years clean, I had to make the choice to move on. Mm-hmm. And with that relationship also was a best friend in that like we've yeah. become very very close and um that actually kind of just fizzled out and to this day i still don't know what happened in that relationship but mm. i have to believe that everything happens for a reason yeah um and as much as it hurts sometimes like i can't let it rock me to my core mm-hmm. i can't let it paralyze me like i have to just keep moving forward yeah so i have a new sponsor and she is amazing um you know, I have a home group. I've had the same home group. That's been my one consistent my whole 17 years. Um, so I've done that. It was probably two and a half, maybe close to three years ago. There was a guy in my area that I started um, noticing, I guess you'll say. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, very attractive guy. And he had a little boy. And I was just always impressed at how he dealt with his son and, you know, he's a really good dad, and um, and I always tease him because when we first started talking, I was like, you really kind of present yourself like you're dumb as rocks. And when we had, like, our first real conversation, I'm like, you're super intelligent. Like, yeah. why do you present yourself that way? Um, but anyway, we've been together for two and a half years with me and this guy. Nice. Um, and, you know, we, we now live together, and, you know, he has full custody of his son. He's four. And, um, you know, so I instantly became the mom of a toddler. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, life continues to change. It's always changing. My, You know, I started with no network. I now have a network. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to think because I didn't have a ton of friends that I wasn't important. Mm -hmm. I have also learned that, you know, for some people it's okay to just have a couple of really close friends. Yeah. um, That... The amount of people in your life does not dictate your importance. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't know. I just, things continue to happen, continue to show up. Um, I think the most relevant thing today in my life is getting focused back on self because, like, with that, with those two guys coming to join our family, um, things got really busy and it got really hectic. And I am a control freak. And I am a caretaker, mm-hmm. and I want to do it all, and I want to make everybody okay. And um, the reality is, is I lose myself in that. Yep. And when that happened, I started to get into a very dark place because, mm-hmm. like I said, that that relationship with that first sponsor had stopped, and um, I just started feeling really crappy about myself. Mm-hmm. And I just I believe God has a way of showing me things, even when I feel like I'm not paying attention like eventually it'll click and i'm like oh okay i see you um and what that was was the common thread in my life is that nobody ever stays nobody's ever Mm -hmm. consistent or reliable 
Um, everybody disappears. Like, I'm not good enough to be kept. Mm. And, um, you know, I started feeling that way again. And, and at this point, my mom just celebrated four years in December. She she nice. dug in. She got her life together. And I always said leading up to this point that, you know, the two things I was missing after my divorce was that perfect relationship because now I knew what I didn't want, that yep. I knew what I deserved, and uh, the fact that um, my mom wouldn't get clean. So this... Like I said, the relationship piece with my sponsor spiraled, and that that theme came back into my life that mm-hmm. I just wasn't good enough. And I don't blame her. I just think that it was another point where I had to look at that. Um, a friend of mine who had been through some stuff herself had been going to counseling, and she had been going through a rough patch. And she, I talked to her about it through a recommendation from her fiance. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, the deal is, is I checked myself in. I, I, you know, I had to go inpatient. I had to, you know, go to the psych ward. I had to take care of myself. And I got into counseling. And she said, and in counseling, it gets real intense. I do EMDR, which is very intense therapy Mm -hmm. for, you know, traumatic situations. And, um, you know, as a kid, I was constantly taking care of my mom. And, you know, she'd be passed out, vomiting, choking on her vomit, like, walking into situations where my dad would be, I remember one specifically, we walked into the house and a roommate that we had at the time, his sister was on the floor giving my dad a blowjob and like Mm. I had to rip them off and pull them apart. My mom's beating her and it was just a mess. Mm. So the trauma of being an adult as a six-year-old and older, I just always chalked it up to not being a big deal because... I didn't get raped. Mm. I wasn't physically abused, you know, so there was always worse situations. Yeah. And the reality is it is traumatic. Oh, yeah. And it, it's done something deep in my soul Yeah. that, you know, we talk about peeling the onion back. Um, I kind of thought, like, if you address that, you know, I don't feel good enough layer that I dealt with it and we can move on. Yeah. Not thinking about those layers go deeper. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went ahead kind of against my wishes or wanting to. I didn't want to go into therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, one thing I've, another thing, I'll say another thing I've learned is when people give you suggestions, it doesn't hurt to follow them through because sometimes they will change your life and sometimes they don't do anything, but Mm -hmm. it never hurts. Yeah. So I ventured into this path of therapy. It was a year in February this year. Um, and I've been doing that for myself and yeah. trying to address some things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, recently, within the last couple of months, really got focused on, and this sounds really kind of shitty, but taking my power back. And what I mean by that is, you know, not being at home and because I'm mom, I've got to take care of everything, yeah. understanding that you know what, I can pass some of this responsibility off to him. Mm-hmm. Or she's 15, like, I don't need to coddle her like she's yeah. a, a baby child she's a big child Mm -hmm. so you know trying to just take some of my power back and not run myself into the ground yeah um and you know that's all things i've learned from recovery like Mm -hmm. sticking around here following suggestions doing the uncomfortable things Mm -hmm. have gotten me better um you know wasn't crazy about coming to do the podcast even though i'm a podcast junkie Mm -hmm. but those uncomfortable i don't know what kind of growth will come from this you know 
and I don't know who I could help, you know, exactly. and I don't want to hold on to things that could help somebody because I know there's a lot of information I've received that have helped me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at and kind of where we went. There's a whole lot of details in between, but I don't think we've got time for Perfect. a whole life story. So, Sorry. Okay. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Did you start last time? I mean, we're, we're, we don't record these in any order, yeah. so I guess it doesn't really matter, does it? Fine, then fuck you. I'm going to start. Oh, rude. <laughs> rude. All right. Um, all right, you talked about uh, really like a traumatic upbringing and um, coping on table, mm-hmm. weed plant, Christmas trees, all sorts of shit. Um, is that sort of like how your addiction like took off because you just didn't know any different and it just was sort of acceptable and how was it like sort of like learning that it's not acceptable yeah so that's an interesting question so it did very much growing up it was very much my normal Mm -hmm. so i think that's the best way to say that um of course and I might be putting my age out there, but when we were growing up, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. like the D.A.R.E. program had just kicked off oh, and yeah. like everybody was like anti-drugs. And yeah, yeah. so the Nancy Reagan days. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I definitely was getting wind that that stuff wasn't OK, but mm-hmm. like at home, that was very normal. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And so it never was viewed like I can tell you, my daughter has no like she has no tolerance for it. Yeah. Um. Because she didn't grow up in it. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. Um, so I don't, I'm a strong believer that it is hereditary. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that it very much contributed. I don't know if that's answering your question, but yeah. contributing to like kicking off my addiction. Um, I think sometimes people are in situations that just make it convenient to, mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah. Um, where others might have to kind of. they come into it like it's not something they're really grown they're not growing up in it yeah um but i don't think it helped like i I, yeah i don't know that if my lifestyle was different and i was in a different situation that i wouldn't still be sitting here Mm -hmm. because that yeah you know who knows how that all works but um it definitely didn't help and i Mm -hmm. think what i saw was i would see my stepmom take all this medication and she would go to sleep so for me, mm. it was more of the monkey see, monkey do. Kind I don't want to deal, yeah. so I'm going to go do what she does because then I don't have to deal with mm-hmm. it. And you know, it's very sad because at nine years old, you shouldn't feel like that. I remember I celebrated eleven years, which was how long I used on my eleventh anniversary. My daughter was was nine, mm-hmm. so oh, we just wow. had this very symbolic, like holy shit, hmm. like life is very different. There's something to be said about being a parent, like as a mom of a daughter, she's nine and I'm looking at her and like, it's kind of choking me up now, but just Mm -hmm. looking at her, like wondering, like, did, how did nobody know? You know what I mean? Because I would know, but they Mm -hmm. did the best they could. They weren't, they weren't, they didn't understand. Yeah. And they were doing what they did. They didn't have the coping skills that I've learned here in the program. Yeah. So before I go in a crying tangent tangent i'm good thank you, don't you. Need i don't need a tissue um it's just unfortunate it's unfortunate because a lot of kids out there are growing up like that yeah um and again i don't know that they wouldn't end up in the same spot that we are in or mm-hmm. that i'm in i'll keep it myself yeah um but i i definitely believe it made it easy it made it convenient mm-hmm. you know it was kind of how we did things so yeah all right cool. what, you, what you got eric um 
Hmm. You kind of answered my first two questions during your share. Yes. So. Huh. What? <laughs> what? I didn't say anything. What? I didn't say anything. Um, would you consider yourself codependent, first off? Yes. Okay. Ooh. So, follow up to that. Trying um, to fix that, by the way. Well, that's what I'm about to ask you. <laughs> okay. Is, uh, how are you working on your codependency? So kind of like I mentioned, like taking my power back and just realizing that like if I look to me and my God, mm-hmm. that's where I'm going to find my peace and my happiness. Like if I'm looking to you to f- make me feel better, that fails every time. I've yeah. seen that happen time and time again. So the reality that like I'm going to be like, oh, well, if he just loves me enough or if my daughter just idolizes me enough and thinks I'm the best mom, like... That's never going to fix anything Mm -hmm. because we're all human. We Mm -hmm. all fall short. And if I just set my standards for myself and how I'm going to love myself and how I'm going to take care of myself and what that looks like, I have a better chance of not being codependent and being a lot happier. Um, So I will be in therapy until that happens (laughs) because that's the goal. Like I just, I, I very much do see the codependency there and, you know, I feel like a lot of that comes from never feeling like I had anything. So I was yeah. always constantly like depending on you. And it was really my parents. Like I wanted that love from them. Mm-hmm. So I just tried so hard and it never worked. Yeah. Does that answer your question? So are you a fixer or are you? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I want to say sounded, I'm not, but I do. It sounded like you were a fixer yeah. in that one, in your uh, marriage. Yeah. And I would say it still happens today. I really try to be mindful of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the therapy piece right now for me. And, you know, I don't I don't believe for anyone listening, like, if you're in recovery, you have to be in therapy. But for me, this stuff is a part of my DNA, as I've been mm-hmm. saying lately. Like, it's so ingrained in me to be codependent. It's so ingrained in me to fix things because I had mm-hmm. to be the adult in the house. Um that I'm trying to undo that. And it's yeah. hard. It's so difficult. Mm-hmm. So. So I, I guess um, just to stick with the codependency for oh, a second. I, sure. I, knew, I knew you had like seven follow-ups to this. For codependency? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Codependency do. is a great question. Um, so I guess uh, like I guess the way I think of codependency, like, I mean, it's its own thing, right? But you can also look at it a lot like the first step and the powerlessness and the mm-hmm. unmanageability that, you know, following or trying to fix this individual or all these people mm-hmm. um, and kind of like creating a boundary. Like, so what are the healthy boundaries that you're putting in place to prevent you from kind of, you know, going a little bit too far? God damn, that's a good question. That is a good question. So... The one that comes to mind, so the boyfriend I mentioned that we've mm-hmm. been together for the past two and a half years, um, he has five years clean, and as I mentioned, I have 17. So the really sticky, tangled web that I fall into is that I've been down this road, been there, done that, and I understand the answer. Mm-hmm. So codependency gets very uh, shaded by the fact that I'm trying to help you. that (laughs) so it's like i i very much need to be mindful of i can throw an idea out there but i gotta let let it lie Mm -hmm. sometimes that works and sometimes i drill it into the ground and that drilling it into the ground is a dangerous place for me Mm -hmm. i have to learn and back to the boundaries that's where i have to learn like 
there's nothing wrong with saying, when's the last time you talked to your sponsor? Mm-hmm. But it stops there. Like, I can't. We'll go call him. You need to call him. Well, did you call him today? You need to, like, I need yeah. to let it go. So I think when it comes to boundaries, it's it's a very sticky situation because I find myself disguising it with love, concern, caring, you know, all mm. of the good things when in reality it's it's it can get messy. Mm-hmm. And so um, so that's, I think, the best example I can give you. Okay. I don't even want to go into my daughter because I'm struggling with the whole mom-daughter <laughs> piece and haven't quite figured those boundaries out because yeah. at 15, you know. Ooh, that goes into my question. Yeah, at 15, I, I, you know, I've got to back off a little, but I'm so scared because I want to make sure you're doing the right thing. But that's back to trying to control the situation and being codependent, trying to fix it. And so... We'll yeah. stick with that first example because I'm lost on her. <laughs> All right. That's hard, right? So, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> okay. So uh, you talked about having uh, a tumultuous relationship with your own mom. Um, and as we grow up, like, I think it's, imp- it's important to have those role models, like male or female role models that we can – emulate, really learn from, and, and grow from, and become the adults we're meant to be. Um, so how important, like, how much of a role did that take in, like, your uh, addiction and recovery, and how important is it for you to now uh, be that female role model that you didn't really have? Great question. So it actually has been... Um, so my mom and her lack of direction or her lack of presence, and I won't say that, I mean, not literally, because physically she was there, but just her ability to be a mom, um, was my driving force for a lot of things, because whatever she did, I was doing the opposite, mm-hmm. and I was doing it right, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, back to the whole thing of, I'm going to smoke crack because you shot dope, and yeah. I'm better than you. Um, so it's been difficult, because... I kind of rode on the, the side of, if she did it this way, I'm going to do it that way. Mm. Um, and I played the victim. When it when I look at myself, I played the victim for a long time. It took me a long time to recognize, one, that she did the best she can. Something I'm working on in therapy right now is acknowledging that while she did the best she could, she still hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. As did my father. Yeah. So... That's a hard, you know, being in recovery and then going to this place where I've got to, you know, dig deep and deal with things. It's kind of conflicting because Mm -hmm. we we were taught that you do the best you can, but I have to acknowledge that you really didn't do the best you could. So as far as, you know, that role model, I really look to the women in recovery Mm. for what to do. I mean, for everything, like Mm -hmm. how to pay bills, how to, you know, everything. Yeah. Um. I always joke that my daughter made me a girl because when I got here, like, I didn't do makeup. I didn't style my hair. Like, I wasn't, I was more tomboyish. Yeah. I didn't really do the girly things. And um, having a girl, I kind of had to embrace those things. So, you know, um, and then when it comes to her, like I said, I just kind of back to the codependency thing. I get really nervous because I'm like, I don't believe because you didn't grow up in this environment back to the hereditary yeah, thing, yeah. that it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, kids don't come with a instruction manual. Like, no. 
there's no right or wrong way to do it. Everybody has their own way. What works for one kid, I'm learning right now with both of ours, doesn't work for the other. No. Um, and it's just, it's that's a difficult part of life right now mm-hmm. because all I'm doing are all the right things. And, you know, just, just this week, there was a situation that went down that um, because I am clean, I'm sober, like I don't have anything going on in that realm, I can be attentive to what's happening to my daughter. And she's exhibiting behaviors right now that she is seeking male attention like crazy. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more than the traditional teenager. Um, She's lying. She's being sneaky. She's Mm -hmm. portraying one person at home or to us and not the other. You know, when she's at school, we've we got a hold of her phone, and she's acting like someone we don't even know. So it's while they're little things compared to what I was doing at 15, Mm -hmm. it's still not good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we've set down some rules. We've set down some consequences. And I'm getting her, as of Thursday, she's going to therapy. Hmm. So, which I'm not... I think everybody, regardless of clean or not, or recovery or not, like, everybody could use somebody to talk to vomit on, get their stuff out, have an unbiased opinion, and, like, learn healthy coping skills. Yeah. And while I've learned that, I'm trying to convey that to her. She's not trying to hear me because I'm mom. Yeah. She's not trying to hear any of us. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I'm trying to not be so self-centered to think that I can fix it Mm -hmm. and get out of the way and, you know, try and get her some help, which is what I think my parents, you know, they were too caught up in their own lifestyles to pay mm-hmm. attention and get me what I needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All right. Back cool. to Eric with uh, the weather. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we've knocked off a lot of my questions. Um, yes. You're killing it, David. Which is good. No, not you. Yes. <laughs> it's no. actually through like no. answers. So it's it's not you. It's I mean it's okay if you want it to. It's not. We, we we have a question rivalry. So uh-huh. whoever, okay. oh yeah, we do. Do we? Do, don't don't. I downplay think you. It. I do. You have a question rivalry. I want to get the speaker to say, "Ooh, good question." To something I said first, because I'm like, yeah, "Fuck you, Eric." So, man, I wish you guys could see the smiles going on. Up rage right here, you know. Um, Maybe we should go to therapy, Eric. I've ar- I've been to therapy. Maybe like I, together. I think we might need. No, like, God, no. I think it could be no. it could be very cathartic for us. No. Okay, get to your question. Good. Get um, to your question. <laughs> so, I think I'll save this question. I'll do the a stock question. Um, what does recovery mean to you? Oh my goodness! Ah, what does recovery mean to me? I can't say that I've honestly thought about this. Yeah. Um, I would have to say recovery. And it's interesting because I was just in a meeting where someone said that they were recovered and it just, I completely oh, cringed. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it's fine and, you know, to each his own. But yeah. um, by being in recovery, I, I feel like it's very much an open-minded willingness that you've got to tap into. And, um, you know, just being willing to look at, you know, I mean, we say it's a really simple program. You just got to change everything, right? Yeah. Um, but, like, coming in here, I know I was broken, I was beaten, I was a mess. And 
I just needed to understand a different way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, we want everything yesterday. So Mm -hmm. I don't don't know how to answer this question. Well, there's no right or wrong answer. No, No, I just, it it very much is just open-mindedness and willingness is what comes to mind. And, you know, if you stay focused on self, I mean, going back to the guy and chasing the guy thing, like, the more I work on me, the better everybody is around me, and I, I'm i better as a result. Mm-hmm. So I think just staying focused on self is the best the best path to take. I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that. I'm dying over here. Oh, that's a great <laughs> answer. No, that's good. That's, that's good. a great answer. What else you got? You got I, I have one more. So you do you want to do two more? Two yeah, more. I got like just two, two more. more. Two more. That's bullshit. Keeping you in line. I want three questions. Two more, David. We don't get what we want all the time. I'm asking. I'm going to ask you three questions. Mm. He's not going to cut me off. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, How has your addiction manifested in recovery? Oh God. Besides for men, didn't I just talk about that? All of it. (laughs) Men, you talked about. How else has it manifested in my life? Control, mm. like I very much think I'm in control of a lot of things. That it's completely a, an illusion. Like I'm not in control of anything. Yeah. Um. I w- yeah, I would have to say control is the biggest thing. I mean, I'm not a big shopper. The whole shopping, sex, whatever. Like, it's it's the control piece. Like I think that I am somebody. And not that I'm not, but, like, that I really have control over everything. And if you just do it my way, it will be good. And it's not. (laughs) A lot of times it's not. Like, it might Mm -hmm. be a mix of what I'm thinking, but, like, trying to operate on my own accord is just, that's becoming a big theme in my life right now, is just trying to, like, lay back and not feel like it's got to be my way or the highway. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, oh, look at you over here. Look at you. What? Go ahead. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm taking my questions. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> do you even know the question? I do. I'm trying to decide which order I want to do them in. Um, okay. Um, you have to choose one. What is your favorite step? Oh, my God. All the stock questions. Are- look at you know what? I'm going to have to go with six. Solid. Six I'm going to have good. to go with six. Yeah. And I say that because of what I mentioned in my in my share is that, you know, it really, it broke the door wide open. Yeah. And everybody always says they're scared of four, and I really wasn't scared of any of them. But then when I was doing six, I was like, what the fuck is happening to yep. me? Oh, yeah. Um, but then on the other side of it, it was just like there was a different version. And, you know, that's why it's so important to continue to work the steps that added layer for me of therapy, like, I just want to keep evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, and my defects run rampant. Yeah. And I don't like to acknowledge my assets. So, you know, I think it's a good, It's that's got to be my favorite. Yeah. Right. This is good. We should really keep a tally. We should start that from now on. Yeah. I'll go through the rest of the episodes and, like, Cool. Listen to him again. And, it would be interesting to know because I'm three. He's ten. We've For had sure. we've had some twelves. We've had some ones. I think we had an eleven ones. We've had an eleven. 
10 would be a close a follow-up for me. 10's for, good, right? Yeah. Yeah. 10's a solid answer. Because yeah. 10 keeps me in check, so I don't have to be too, too messy. I'm messy with myself a lot, but <laughs> externally, I don't do too bad. I'm waiting for the random person to be like, 8, I love I love <laughs> knowing my amends that I need to make. I, mean, I don't make them well, in 9. No. I don't do the 9. It's, about the, the or- it's about the organization. Yes, I you like know? lists. Like list. It's all about the list, man. <laughs> all right. One and one. You go. All right. So... Um, what does a healthy relationship look like for you today? Oh, Lord. Whoa. Didn't you just hear how dysfunctional my relationship is? I know, and that's why I'm asking what a healthy one looks like for you today. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, in my distorted brain... I'm, like, answering this in my brain, too. I'm like, oh, shit. I feel like it's very much two people bringing... A sense of ownership to the table, a sense of, like, one thing I really appreciate is brutal honesty, and I don't mean that yep. it can't be compassionate, but I don't do secrets. I, I've lived that life of just doing what you want to um, make the other person happy. So I just, I feel like honesty, communication, communication is key, um, you know, and just really putting it out on the table. I don't even know how to say that, but just being able to have open, candid conversation. Transparency. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I don't even mean in intimate relationships with friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had struggles with that, you know, not even that long ago, um, you know, with my daughter. That's always a tension point because mm-hmm. I'm trying to like dig it out of her and she's like, what? Looking at me like, what the fuck is going on? I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> um, but I know... I know the healing power and being able to effectively communicate, and you've got to have two people on the same page to make that happen. So I think that kind of covers it. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. What do you think is a healthy relationship, Eric? Why are you, why are you putting me on the spot right now? <laughs> I don't know. What uh, do you, you can't even answer your own question, you hold dick. Hold on. See, Emily, it's not that easy, is it? Exactly. Yeah. How do you like being on the spot? I think a healthy relationship is one of compassion towards yes. the other person. Yes. Mm-hmm. And having a mutual understanding and respect towards each other. Um, you don't have to necessarily... I don't know. It's something I was talking about... Um, with like just relationships in general, not not even friendships, but like even acquaintances, like or coworkers, or yeah. coworkers, you don't really need to be f- like you don't really even need to like people all the time. Yes, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people I don't like, but understanding who they are and mm-hmm. how they work and like respecting that um, and not trying to change them. Yeah. Um, yeah, because there's like a lot of people I just really don't like, but like I guess like that's just who they are, mm-hmm. and like I try to maintain a relationship out of respect, and yeah, you know that's kind of you know not trying to not trying to agitate someone or poke at them purposefully, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. purposefully. That's kind of like sometimes that's fun though. Sometimes, uh, <laughs> but I don't do it like I what used I to. It's a great question. I dropped something. It was a great question, yeah. and I want to add Eric's answer to the back of mine because that was amazing. <laughs> you can do that. That, that. that counts. Now I want to know what David thinks. Okay, um, healthy relationship for me. Um, I really like think of it um, very much, and I love making analogies. So, like uh, being teammates, 
Like you got, like you got to be teammates. Like you're, um, and it's a lot about like letting go of control. Like, and and you talked about that. Like, just be basically just doing my job. Mm-hmm. Like trying to focus on myself and and because like on a team, I can't throw the ball and catch the ball at the same time. Right. I have to do one or the other, and I have to trust that that person is going to do their job. So it's really a lot of things um, working in harmony and like. Just like a team, there's going to be wins and losses. There's going to be ups and downs. Like he's going to throw a shitty ball, I'm going to drop it. Like things are going to happen naturally in a relationship, uh, coworkers, friendships, romantic relationships, where things are not going to go towards expectations. Either that person or my or me personally, I I fall short. And uh, when like those difficult moments happen, um. Like, like both of you said, you got to have compassion. You understand, like, you make faults, I made faults, like, both of us. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's like, we got to come together, talk about this, like you said. And um, now we got to put in the work to make this work for the next storm. Agreed. Yeah. I like it. So that's where I got It's interesting you said team, too, because I feel like at work and at home, that's our common theme. Like, my house is a baseball, softball house. Like, yeah. And right now, it's horrid because that's all we do every day all the time um so that's like our kind of bring it back to the table is Mm -hmm. we're a team this is how we do just like on the field and at work it's the same thing like we're a team like we need to pull this together so it's just interesting that you said that because that's kind of a go-to like phrase at our house and at work is that's that's sort of how how i keep it it simple in my mind because like there can be toxic teams but there can be very successful teams and in order to be a successful team all the all the working parts have to mesh and ironically like that phrase works for us at home and at work like when somebody says that whatever like disgruntled or angry or like it kind of fizzles out because that's been said and it's like oh yeah you're right that's what we do yep so all right i like it all right i got one final question Mm -hmm. um because you said you sort of like grow uh you grew up um not trusting people always thinking people were gonna leave blah 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 this and that um what are the what are the challenge? So it's two part question. What are the challenges, and um, of building relationships and recovery, and how important has it been? Like, Another good question. Um, so I will say the biggest challenge in building relationships is self, mm-hmm. Ooh. because I want to get my own way and kind of make a prediction as to where this is going or what your intent kind of back to that communication thing um because if people aren't responding acting um being present in a certain way you know my little baby feelings come out and Mm -hmm. i start thinking i'm you know that's where all that kicks up that not being able to trust and all that yeah um so the challenge is, like, getting out of my own way, being able to be vulnerable, being able to understand that, like, you know, Eric had mentioned, like, we've got to, you know, be compassionate, be empathetic, ask the hard questions, you know. Mm-hmm. If somebody's hurt my feelings or I feel like something's happening, like, in a compassionate and loving way, be like, you know what, I don't want to make this a thing, but, like, you really hurt my feelings the other day. And, like, what's going on that's not really like you? Yeah. Um and I swear sometimes the things that come out of my mouth like sound so cheesy, but like that's how I've learned how to be around here is mm-hmm. to be able to ask a hard question without being a jerk, um, which that part's kind of easy for me. It's the 
getting the balls to go make that phone call because yep. I'm thinking, oh, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the challenging part. Um, it is extremely vital to make relationships in here. And I guess where I'll go with this is that first sponsor that I had, that was my only friend in recovery for 16 years. Mm. So while I had acquaintances in here and I knew people and people knew me, nobody knew me. Yeah. Um, so kind of touching back on the challenging part, that when that relationship started to fizzle, I think that's why it hit me so hard. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I'm going to try and sound hip and stuff right now, but that whole ride or die, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, she was from the beginning. Wait, hip? hip? Is, is ride know. or die hip still? I don't know if it's She's a mom. Like, DM, She's a mom. It's like, not. She okay. Like Rough Riders, like ride or die? Like, oh, my God. That's not that where I was mean? taking it. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like DMX and the like. young guys at work say it all the time, and they're like 20. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, but the whole, that whole piece of just being that no matter what person, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And then when it fizzled out and. I had, at that point, I had friends. You know, a couple years ago, I had built a network and I had friends. But then I went back to square one because I started second-guessing, like, well, if you've been my everything for 16 years. And that's that's where that making friends, building relationships Mm -hmm. and having a network is important. Yeah. Because you go into that codependent role and you throw your everything into someone, one someone, you're going to fall and you're going to hit your head and it's going to hurt and you're going to hurt. Like, yeah. So, yeah, relationships, network, very important, and just allow yourself to be uncomfortable. I have to, or I'm not going to be good. Love it. All right. Well, I think we are out of questions. Um, Jesse, we're going to give you a very short moment for you to talk to all the people out there struggling, all the recovering addicts, um, all the people who are still using, who are trying to find a way. What do you have to say for them? What I would have to say is just, uh, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but give yourself a break because the reality is, like, none of us got here gracefully. Mm -hmm. None of us have done this gracefully. Um, I think the biggest thing I can say is just don't use. I mean, I've shared and hit on a couple of really difficult points in my life, and that was just a sprinkle. Um, So while I haven't done this perfectly and I haven't even completely been engaged in recovery, just don't use because if you use... You might not be with us tomorrow. Yeah. So if you just don't use, like, it might look messy. It might be sloppy. You might be in a whole lot of pain, but I promise you it'll pass. Yeah. Um, you know, and in order for us to get better, we need you here. So. All right. Perfect. Just keep coming. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. That's All great. right. Well, we would like to thank our guest, Jesse, for joining us today. Give us a golf clap, Eric. That's the best golf clap ever. Nice. I like that one. Our golf clap is true. Our, our, our clap track is terrible. It's wonderful. All right. Well, let me wonderful. sign out here real quick. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of hope... Uh, the message of recovery to every addict wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. Well, again, thank you, Jesse, everybody. Hope you enjoyed listening. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Like, 
subscribe, share, do and all of your that friends, all the stuff. social media yeah. stuff. Um, because of your you're our you're our heartbeat. You guys get the get the word out for us. So everybody out there, thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay clean.